Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Man, got to the end of the week, so I'm doing great. Yeah. We, we, you know, not only did we get to the end of the week, but our work is mostly done, because <laughs> we, we actually completed our interview with... Uh, Thomas Frey on Wednesday, but uh, we we said we'd only share it with uh, with everyone here on the Friday show. So we're you know this is our chance to just kind of sit back and relax and listen to our our own great stuff, huh? <laughs> That's right. And uh, we have and, it was, and uh, Thomas Frey is a great guest. He is he has been on the show before, uh, what a couple of times now, Phil. Before before uh, Wednesday's show, a couple of times before that. Yeah, this 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 will be if we count this as a separate one. This is his fourth appearance on the World Transformed tonight. Okay, okay. I was I was thinking it was his third. Is his fourth? Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, and uh, uh, the second half of this interview is I would say ten percent more awesome than uh, the first half. So if you if you listen to the first half and thought that was great, uh, hang on, it gets even. Better. That's right. Wednesday we were amazing, and Friday here we go. We're going to take it up a notch. So without any further ado, here's part two of our interview with Thomas Frey from the Da Vinci Institute. First off, let's swing it back to the book and and talk okay. and talk a little bit about uh, how we how we talk about the future and how we think about the future. Because I think the uh, I think the self driving car example which we could, you know, we could probably do a full three-hour show just talking about that, um, kind of lays that groundwork. But in the book, you give, uh, um, I think, eight examples of different um, opportunities we have for getting better, these, these, uh, epi- these, these epiphanies that, that sort of build throughout the book. You talk about optimizing purpose, learning, optimizing our tools, optimizing systems, optimizing government, optimizing infrastructure, optimizing ourselves and then and then you go on to the big epiphany which is the epiphany zine we don't want to spoil it right i don't you know we still want people to buy the book so we won't uh, we won't give too much away but but let's talk a little bit about each of those if we could starting with optimizing purpose i thought that was such an interesting place to start and it really does put the futurist in the role of the philosopher very much at that point when we, when we start thinking about you know what our purpose is and and where we're going do do you think it's more important for us to be focused on that on a personal level or should we be thinking about you know all of humanity our purpose or society's purpose where where does that really yeah. 
fit in for a futurist? Yeah, I mean, the, in a, a Star Trekian form is what's the prime directive for humanity? Right, right. Um, I mean, I, I look at the prime directive on Star Trek, and I think, wow, they just wow, they missed everything. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's such it's such an uh, an off the wall thing that we're not supposed to interfere with other populations. That that has, makes no sense whatsoever. We need not what we shouldn't do. We need a directive of what we should do. Um, and we don't have that. I mean, what's what's the goal for humanity? Um, I, I I get caught up in all these philosophical debates uh, between left brain and right brain thinking. You know, arguing these different points, and um, I I think that that's that's kind of an overarching thing. I mean, when when we look at um, all of the systems that we're developing, I mean, part of uh, part of what we're doing is we're creating this whole digital infrastructure. We're, we're um, connecting the entire world digitally. But we have no master architect at the top. We have no person up there saying, oh, this is the grand plan. This is the grand scheme of how all this digital stuff should connect and work. Um, it's, all, it's all coming together um, uh, kind of in its own fashion. Um, and so does it make sense for us to have some larger vision? I mean, is, is it our destiny to colonize other planets, to explore the universe? Um, I, I end up thinking that uh, uh, the human race can't survive if all humans only live on one planet. But, I mean, that's... Um, but there's other, lots of other things that can go wrong along the way just besides that. Um, so... Yeah, what is our overall big purpose? I think we end up with a lot more questions than we actually have answers for. Yeah, I, I, it reminds me of the, there's the Peanuts cartoon where um, Lucy asks Linus, he says, what are we put on this earth for? And she says, to help others. And he thinks for a moment and then he goes, well, what are, what are others put here for? It's <laughs> those, those little conundrums we run into when we try to when we try to figure yeah. out purpose. But traditionally, religious people have answers to that, right? And maybe more recently, you've got, for example, transhumanists or folks who take a more uh, teleological view of evolution who have some thoughts about uh, about purpose. But but generally, I think there's a dearth of thinking practical day-to-day -day thinking about, you know, purpose, isn't there? It's, it's really not something people focus on much. Right, right. Uh, we, we don't. What's, what's my role? What's, uh, um, if you keep asking the and then what question, um, everybody runs out of answers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I like to start with kind of this big picture thinking and, uh, and so how do we how do we ground some of our thinking? How do we come up with these better ideas on where we sh we should be going? Um, um, we don't do it in isolation, that's for sure. Uh, right, absolutely. Well, uh, let's move on. We've got uh, the next one is optimizing learning, um, and this this one is interesting to me because this Stephen, this is something that you've written about quite a bit in your. Uh, Copy shopification. Uh, Stephen wrote a piece a while back for the Boston Globe called "In the Future Everything Will Be a Coffee Shop," and we just talked about uh, reducing infrastructure for for how we get things done in the world. Um, 
when, when we look at optimizing learning, how much of what needs to happen around learning do you think involves just kind of getting rid of infrastructure that we have currently, right? How, how much of it is just kind of getting things out of the way? I think that's um, well over 90% of it. Um, yeah. uh, yeah. we, we, have, we have too many legacy systems in place. I'll, t I'll tell you a story. Um, I, was, uh, I was giving a talk for the uh, California State University, which is our largest university system, uh, you know, 460,000 students in California, and they have 23 different campuses. And my audience was the 23 presidents of the universities. That's that's who was in the audience. And we were having we were having dinner the night before, um, sitting around outside, beautiful setting outside uh, around these tables. There's half dozen college president sitting around the table with me, and I just asked this off-the-wall question. Um, I asked the question of, does anybody here have, have an idea where the four-year degree came from? And uh, they all kind of stared at me with their mouth open because none of them knew the history of the four-year degree. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I, and I knew I knew that none of them would know the answer because we had one of our guys do some research on it, and it really doesn't have any uh, uh, well-documented starting point. It was an American invention, though, and when when um, the college system uh, came about, I mean, it was based on this notion that information is scarce, and so. Um, we want to teach people this breadth of information so that they have their well-rounded individuals and then teach them this core information to go along with it. And so that was started in the early 1800s. And since that time, though, I mean, everything has changed. I mean, the, the average person now uh, consumes information 11.8 hours a day. And we are, um, we're deluged with information all the time. And so information is no longer scarce. Um, um, so what should we be paying attention to? That's, that's a, a different question. But this breadth of information that uh, colleges charge you a lot of money to get, um, I think we learn that ambiently. I think we learn that uh, we, we pick it up and everything we watch on TVs and other shows. And um, So could we streamline colleges by getting rid of the breadth of information? I don't know. That sounds like a bit like a heretic, I'm sure. but. Uh, I think there's some d interesting arguments just on that point alone. Um, well, I, I, for, a while, I, one of the, for a while, these uh, I think for a while these legacy systems hang on just for the credentialing, um, and right. you know, but but eventually, uh, eventually that uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's a kind of the emperor has no clothes situation, and uh, and uh, the importance of that begins to fade. But uh, well, I, you know, we always need, I think we'll always need the credential, but uh, it may come down to just well, I you know. I picked it up ambi ambiently, as you said, and uh, we and and I went and took the test, and uh, now I've got the credential. So um, yeah, maybe that's See, maybe it works the, like that. At the Da Vinci Institute, we're offering um, uh, we we call it a, a micro college. We're teaching people how to become computer programmers. Now we're going to be teaching our futurist course and a few other ones, and and so we refer to it as a micro college, and then we're offering. Um, what we call a micro degree based on um, uh, a thousand hours of learning. So somebody who gets uh, a thousand hours of learning can, can earn a micro degree. And a, a micro degree 
is alternative credentialing, and it means absolutely nothing unless the person that you're talking to about it actually thinks it has value. Uh, so if you um, are in an interview of sorts and you actually talk very highly about this microdegree and all the things that you learned along the way, it can indeed have quite a bit of value. So over time, if we have enough people with microdegrees, then, um, uh, then they can indeed um, create an alternative form of credentialing that, that has significant value. Um, in the office, we joke around a lot about if somebody gets a number of micro degrees, can they get a micro PhD then? <laughs> <laughs> it's not piled quite as high and deep, I guess, if you have a micro PhD. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't add up to as much. But you've, actually, you see that particularly in software development, right, where um, if, if the four-year degree is to some extent, you know, kind of arbitrary to absurd somewhere on that spectrum, then no, yeah. nowhere more so than in, say, software development, because there's this just competing model where you just get certified in the stuff you want to use, right? I mean, that's that's what a lot of uh, programmers do. They get certified in the tools that they, that, uh, that they want to program in, and they start writing code, and a lot of them can get jobs irrespective of whether they've got uh, the four-year degree, depending on who's hiring, right? It becomes a roadblock for, uh, for a lot of people, but the actual knowledge that they need, they get through something very much like the micro degree you're talking about, right? That's where the actual yeah, the, knowledge is. Yeah, the, the coding world, uh, people don't really care that much about credentials. They just care whether or not you can do the job. Right. Um, my, my son has an example. He is... Uh, dropped out of college four times. Now he's the vice president of engineering at his company. So he's a, a, an exceptional programmer. So <laughs> that that yep. makes that um, makes the difference. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, optimizing our tools? Uh, you you had a piece out. I think it was today. Or actually, it was yesterday. Your your email about uh, the fourteen myths of. Uh, the robo apocalypse. This is, you know, this is one of the things that Stephen and I have been doing a lot of shows about, talking about the, uh, the, 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 the death of employment potentially due to uh, automation. And right. you took that one on pretty well. I thought, I thought you, you, you offered up some really good arguments. But generally, do you think we're just we're overthinking the risks of techno unemployment? That people are too worried um, about that? I, I see lots of. Lots of employment problems. The uh, the biggest job in the future is going to be that of a hustler. Um, you're going to have to hustle from one gig to the next. Um, I I I think uh, it'll be challenging for a lot of people to get reskilled um, and to be retrained uh, in a way that um, they can uh, get another job. But um, so much of the world is moving into a freelance model. I mean, we're what, at 43, 44% of the workforce is either contract or freelance today, and that's going to go up several percentage points in the, in the 2020s. Um, and, and so a lot of college students, they graduate from college, they can't find a job, and after a few months, they'll pick up a project, and then they'll pick up another project, and then another one, and then suddenly they're they're living the life of a freelancer, and begrudgingly, and nobody's ever taught them how to become a freelancer, and that's that was right. never their goal. Um, but if somebody actually taught them how to become an effective freelancer, that um, 
that's that's something that would be a preferred lifestyle, I think, for most people because they can take control over their own destiny. They can they can take on projects that they're good at. They can say no to the projects they're not good at. They can kind of manage their own time more effectively. But uh, but again, nobody's teaching people how to become freelancers, and I think that's a a huge omission. Just like you don't ever teach people how to balance their checkbook in college either. So uh, right, you know these 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 critical life skills. But this is uh, you know we're we're still educating people based on the um, you go get a job model of employment that just it really is not not going to exist anymore. Um, I guess well, people they, need to get uh, a micro free, degree in being a freelancer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Part of uh, part of the vision of the coffee shop article, uh, uh, Thomas, was that uh, we all get to be freelancers eventually, right? I mean, we're uh, right. it, 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 the uh, employment market will be very much an ad hoc situation where you know we go from one project to the next, often with. Uh, uh, with little in common with the last project you worked on, maybe with completely different people doing a completely different thing after you, right. you know, uh, wrap up the last project. So, um, right. and, and so, yeah, I, that's, I think that's, uh, the future of the job market is, uh, and, uh, we, we better get good at that sort of thing. Right. Well, right, right. I think there's, there's, I mean, for the people that want to, um, I mean, I, I think the key skills that people are going to need in the future is they have to be resourceful, they have to be flexible, they have to be nimble and quick, they have to be determined. Um, uh, these are all kind of interesting attributes that people need to have, but they're not easy to teach. Um, and so uh, how do we create that culture where um, uh, people realize that this, this is how to live an effective lifestyle in the future? It's vastly different than the way we were taught in the past. Let's talk about, uh, I'm going to skip a few and jump down to one of the most intriguing ones. Uh, they're all interesting, but uh, really got my attention. The chapter on optimizing infrastructure, you devote a lot of attention to the Hyperloop. Now, tell us, if you can, in uh, you know just the short amount of time we have left in the show, why is this particular infrastructure project of such potential importance for the world, really. Oh, I think this is uh, massively important because um, it creates such a fluid society over time. Um, so, so first of all, I mean, if we're worried about unemployment, um, uh, as unemployment starts ticking up, countries start getting really nervous, and countries will start investing in mega projects to keep people employed. Um, and by mega projects, I'm referring to anything over a, over a billion dollars. Uh, they currently represent 8% of global GDP today. Um, and it looks to me like in the, the next 15 to 20 years that the number of mega pro projects are going to triple uh, for a number of reasons, uh, go up to like 24% of global GDP. Um, now, the biggest of all of them potentially would be the Hyperloop or a tube transportation system um, because once once you're able to travel inside of a tube, uh, you suck all the air out and there's, there's no friction and so you're using some sort of a mag magnetic levitation system to float along and it becomes the greenest form of transportation out there. Um, this as opposed to 
you know, the 15 largest cargo ships in the world today actually pollute more than all of all of the cars on the entire planet. Wow. Um, and and so there's there's all of these things that are way out of whack, and we're just dumping huge amounts of garbage into the oceans right now. If we can get to a tube transportation system, then we uh, I don't know we build tunnels or we build bridges over the Bering Strait and across the Darien Gap between North and South America, um, uh, across Gibraltar to connect Europe with with Africa, and we can even connect Japan to Korea and make Japan part of uh, Asia. But all of these things, once we start, uh, w once we have an effective pilot project you know, with a Hyperloop, then every country in the world lines up and wants to be part of that system. Um, and, and so then as we start building this network, uh, 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 a tube transportation network around the world, it, it has the potential to become the world's largest infrastructure project in all history, uh, costing uh, literally trillions of dollars, employing hundreds of millions of people, taking 50 to 70 years bare minimum to build it all out. Um, but it, it, it creates such a fluid society because we can, we can ship stuff from China to the U.S. and back again, a uh, trip from um, uh, Daryl Oster, who is... Uh, has this competitor system to uh, Hyperloop, which is called ET3. Um, that's one that can go up to 4,000 miles an hour. Um, Hyperloop goes about 800 miles an hour. So uh, Daryl Oster talks about space travel on Earth. It's uh, traveling from New York to Beijing in, in less than two hours. Wow. Um, that uh, That's such a game changer. I mean, the idea that you could... You can wake up and have breakfast in Denver. You could have lunch in Tokyo and dinner in Helsinki just because you can. Um, that's such a game changer. I mean, then we have, I mean, if, if a country makes bad decisions, people vote by leaving. So 200 right. million people leave a country in one day just because they can. Um, <laughs> how, do, how does that change politics? I don't know. <laughs> Just because the trains are running, right? I mean, that's that's really all it takes. You know, it's it's interesting when when you give an example like that, and uh, it just it's it's such I don't know a visionary, almost utopian view of the world that that you describe there. You know, just such a wonderful scenario for yeah. a world connected by hyperloops um, that. Uh, kind of resonates with the way somebody may, may have tried to describe how the internet will connect us all right or how the you know a long time ago how the telegraph was going to correct right. uh, c connect the whole world or or something like that it, i almost feel like um one of the tricks to being a futurist um has got to be just to make these really counterintuitive leaps kind of like stephen's piece where he says a uh, self-driving car is going to kill thousands of people, so we should get to that as quickly as possible, right? Here you are saying, yeah. this will be the most expensive, hardest thing we've ever done. Therefore, let's get cracking, right? That, it's, it's, yeah. The, therefore, the it's the we thing we need to do. The better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's uh, JFK, right? The, the, uh, we choose to do these yeah. things because they're hard, right? That's the, yeah. the argument uh, for going I, to the moon. Yeah, I, I actually use that as a kind of a, a, a test for do I want to take on this project? I, I think I want to because it's hard. You know, right. I look at that, that whole idea a lot. Um, so, yeah, 
Um, I, I think there's, there's so much activity around Hyperloop right now <clears throat> that there's several competing uh, efforts. Uh, it's, it's this mad race to see who's going to be first. And, uh, and Dubai is placing bets on uh, competing companies right now, so <laughs> we'll see which one can pull it off the quickest. Um, but we're I not. Are, are we in the lead, or we, where's the U.S. in the uh, in the running currently? Um, well, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I think we'll have I think we'll have a pilot project in the United States. Um, right. um, whether we actually, we actually have the first functional stretch of of tube transportation in operation, I uh, I I think that might actually go to some other country. I mean, India is big, making a big, big play for this as well. Right. I mean, they just have massive amounts of people that they have to transport from one part of the country to another, and um, and they just have terrible systems for doing that. Um, so who's who's going to take the lead? It's going to be a great question. Um, well, I, I'd like to see us get in there. You know, even if we don't win the race, I'd like to see us uh, be in there because that's the you know it's the transcontinental railroad. It's the going to the moon. It's it's that level of um, you know, doing the next big thing. I think it's 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 good for people to have that yeah. vision, right, and to have something like that that they're working on. I, I yeah, these these are all U.S. based companies, mm-hmm. um, but they're uh, the people who are willing to put up the money, take a uh, take a leap of faith and and sponsor it. They're they're in other countries, so um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it all unfolds. It's it's going to be. Uh, uh, absolutely fascinating to watch. Yeah, it will for sure. Now, uh, the the book ends. You you give uh, three laws of exponential capabilities. One of which, the first one, I already mentioned this, uh, where a decrease in effort equals an increase in capabilities. We talk about this uh, on the show all the time. It's um, uh, the ephemeralization, right, of our Buckminster Fuller. The the idea that uh, that that we're we're getting more powerful. We're doing we're, we're doing more and more with. Uh, uh, with less and less. Then we have these mega accomplishments that um, that, that surpass what, what we're doing today. And Hyperloop is maybe a, kind of a good example of a coming mega accomplishment. And then you raise the bar for achievements, and that resets the bar for expectations. So you get this really virtuous cycle of us doing bigger and bigger and better things. I, I guess the question is, and maybe this is too open-ended but and, and unfair, so I'll go ahead and ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> With that in mind, what can we reasonably expect for humanity, you know, for the long term, but even for the near term? You know, is it, yeah. c- can futurists even begin to predict how how out of control big things are going to get and strange things are going to get uh, with, with those kinds of factors in play? Yeah, it, you're bringing up a great question because um, the more dependent we become on technology, uh, the more breaking points we create. We have, we have lots of... Um, um, moving parts, if you will, and uh, lots of things can go wrong. Um, I mean, I, I use this example of a giant solar flare that could uh, actually take us back to the Stone Age uh, right. pretty quickly. Um, but, I mean, there's other things that can go wrong, too. <clears throat> um, I mean, having uh, tube transportation that can take us to the other side of the world almost instantly. I mean, that allows people to ship bombs over and poison and stuff very quickly as well. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, the the things that can go wrong. Are the, the ro robots create problems, and they're all. And while we think of them as as solving all of our problems, they also create problems. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. There there was an interesting article tonight that I was reading that said that uh, um, artificial intelligence is already starting to display all of the signs of. Uh, of human bias and deception and all of the the negative attributes that we think about humanity, so uh, so a lot of this technology isn't the panacea that a lot of us uh, are imagining. Interesting. So um, safe to say that uh, unexpected and 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 un very un I guess it's almost yeah. like the law of unintended consequences, right? Un unexpected right. turns lie ahead, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean the. Our, our children's children who haven't even been born yet, they're counting on us to make good decisions. So right. the, the, future, the future is judging us. Um, and we're not, uh, uh, we're, we're going to look bad in the future because we're, we're making a lot of stupid moves here. So, <laughs> Well, but that's a good goal. If we, can, if we can just make ourselves look a little better to our future yeah, project, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, even even just one percent better. That's like massive. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, Tom, I can't believe it, but we're just about out of time. I, I before I cut it off, though, um, Stephen, did did I skip over you? Did you have another question you wanted to ask? I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, you know me, Phil. I'll barge in. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you've never been shy about that uh, it, kind of thing. It's been, it has been, yeah, it, it's been very, uh, it's been very awesome to get to talk to you, Thomas, uh, and hope we can have you back on very soon. Yeah, I would, I would love to do that. Um, these are just great conversations. I think we just need to have more of them. I, I think we need to keep people uh, enlightened and aware of all the possibilities. We do these mastermind groups at the Da Vinci Institute, and the, the next one we have planned is on quantum computing um, and where that's going to take us. Uh, so that'll, that'll be a f fascinating topic. But I would I'd encourage all the listeners to just uh, check out davinciinstitute.com and all the events that we have coming up. We have lots of things in the works right now. And then also, if you want to read any of my columns, they're all on futuristspeaker.com. And so I'm trying to tackle a lot of dicey topics as we go here. So well, I get your um, I get your I get your daily e email feed, and it's just one of the greatest things. There's just so much. Of course, we use often, as you know, use your uh, uh, material as fodder for for our show. And I, I think if, if people are serious about uh, wanting to think about the future, if they're serious about making a small improvement so that they can uh, do better by their future progeny, futurespeaker.com, the Da uh, Vinci Institute, these are great places to start. I hi highly recommend everybody check, check out the links that we've provided here on blogtalkradio.com and over at uh, worldtransform.com. And Tom, best of luck with the book. Hope it's a huge bestseller for you. And uh, we look forward to having you back on again very soon. All right. All right. Well, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, there it is, Stephen. We've completed our interview with Thomas Frey, talked about Epiphany Z. You know, that was kind of a, we waited a little longer than I intended for us before having him on to talk about that, but it was definitely worth the wait, wasn't it? It was. It was. 
and uh, just a, just a fascinating guy. He 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 finds all aspects of the uh, of the future interesting, doesn't he? And we, and, uh, and and can make them interesting to to us and our audience too. So I, we got to have we got to have him on more often. I, I hope we don't wait as long before. Uh, it's one of the things I really enjoy talking to him about the most is just the fact that he'll go anywhere. Right. It's yeah. uh, he. <laughs> uh, it, it's not one of these one-trick ponies with Tom. He 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 is interested in the future, and that means every facet, every aspect of the future. And you really get uh, get all of it with with him. So uh, yeah, I agree. I think we we kind of made an informal plan after talking the other night that uh, we're going to have him back as often as possible, maybe even once a month. And he's got some wacky wacky future ideas he wants to talk about. So I think uh, that's going to be some great shows coming up. But speaking of great things, it's Friday, and you know what that means. It's time <laughs> it's to geek out a little geek bit. Time. Yeah, we've got we to do other geeks. So, awesome so on Monday, oh. I mentioned that I was listening to Accelerando on Audible, and we talked, we talked about it briefly. Um, one thing I learned in the interim, that, which makes me feel like I need to go back and, and do the whole thing over again, is I guess Accelerando is the third book in a series of three so I'm actually listening to part three without having heard uh, part one or two. Um, but, uh, you know. return of, it's a return of the Jedi without ever seeing a Star Wars movie before that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's still a pretty awesome place to start. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it makes me, makes me definitely want to go back and, and catch those other two. But one of the things I was saying on Monday when we talked about this briefly is that one of the complaints people have about Charles Strauss is that his books are dense, they're, just, they're full of ideas, they're full of jargon, and it's hard to get into. Um, this is a great alternative if, you, if you've ever had trouble reading any author. Um, Audible, right? It's like yeah. you, you can get through any book with Audible, okay? Even, even if, it, uh, if you're listening to something and it sounds like you know, you've lost the thread, you can stick with it and the ideas will come to you. Um, I think this is, a, this is a, actually a great way to engage with um, difficult prose. It's something, I, you know, I was an English major in college, and one of the things I used to love to do was you couldn't do it with everything back in those days. These days, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could. But anytime I could get an audio recording of a book I was reading, I would listen to it, and in particular, Shakespeare. I would listen to um, people acting the plays out because it, it would be, you know, it would just become so much more meaningful. In fact, the best way to read Shakespeare was actually to sit down with friends and read the whole thing out loud, you know, assign parts, and everybody would sort of act it out, and you could actually get, you know, what I mean, like the dynamics of it, the the story of it, more than just the uh, um, than, than than just the words. Um, so. Uh, this is this is my recommendation to everybody. If there's a book that's been intimidating you, I bet it's on Audible, and you should uh, you should listen to it. And everybody should listen to Accelerando uh, uh, if you uh, if you want your mind blown. Oh yeah, it's sounding a bit like a an ad, uh, uh, Phil. But uh, let me tell you also, there's daily deals and everything else. I've I've uh, uh, I, I check out the daily deals. I try to uh, most days, and just to see if it's something that interests me. And you know, my, maybe every third or fourth time I check the daily deal. Oh yeah, I'm picking that one up. Two, three bucks, you know, for an audio book. That's awesome. So I, I, uh, I, I do that pretty regularly now. Yeah. Well, one one of the things. I, this is not a spoiler, but just a strategy for getting through Charles Struss tip. Um, one of the things I've noticed is I'll be listening to the book and I'll go, where are we in time? What's happened? Uh, I, I feel like I've skipped something. And it turns out that indeed he has written things out of sequence because I guess it wasn't dense or hard enough to read it. 
right? <laughs> right. To begin with, yeah. Yeah, and this might be one of the reasons that people get frustrated. But it's like you, you keep listening and you go, oh, it, it all makes sense now. So it's also a reason to keep reading, folks, if you're trying to read something and uh, and and you don't get there. But uh, but but I feel like I, I feel like this is just a I don't know. It's, you've you've opened up a whole new world for me, Stephen, with these Audible uh, science fiction novels. That's all I can tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm just well, uh, I, 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 I'm really I enjoying it. Bit of, I, I do a good bit of commuting. Um, you know, I, I cover a couple of different offices uh, as part of the day job, and um, and uh, you know, I, I can I can knock out a book. Uh, you know, at least a book a week uh, right. um, with Audible. And, uh, you know, I mean, just finding uh, reading time, uh, you know, and the desire to read after spending a day, you know, the work day reading all day for the job, right? Right. You know, when it comes time to relax, uh, you know, it doesn't just uh, – I don't just jump necessarily to uh, to pulling out a book, right? And just well, the old eyes reading. get tired, I can tell you in my yeah. case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so – um, this is this is a, a great alternative, and uh, and you know it, it used to be that uh, you know you'd have to you buy these buy these books on CD and things like that, and that that tends to be more expensive than than uh, doing it this way. So yeah, um, I, I've uh, I've I've picked up the habit, let's say, and, and uh, it's it's been fun. It's a good way to go, and it's a good way to geek out. So if you're looking uh, if you're looking to do some geeking out, check out Audible. Um, just give it a try. I think it's uh, I think it's it's worth doing. And with that, Stephen, unless you have some additional geek, I think that's gonna. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save. Uh, I've got some additional geek, but I think I'll save it for next week. So we'll just have to get everybody. You know what? We we need geek next week. So it's, <laughs> it's good that we're already we're already that far ahead. All right. Well, hey, it's been a fun week. Uh, thanks once again to our guest uh, Thomas Frey. Uh, we look forward to being with you all again next week. We will have three brand new shows with some big news about our book. So until next time, live to see it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.